tickets, dreaming about a premiership cup. We love our clubs, but they never win. Two flags in 100 years. Uh, Charlie, the Bulldogs have got two flags now. I hate you. If you think we'll be insightful, clever or just when we search, we're here to say that's not the case. We'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one car. It is a Wednesday, June the 28th. <laughs> Welcome, hopefully, to Two Guys, One Cup. Uh, my name is Will Anderson. And I am Charlie Clawson. God, we hope this is going out to someone. This is this will be our third attempt at Two Guys One Cup in the space of five days. So please, God, let it be let it be recorded. If it feels like we haven't started this one with the usual level of enthusiasm, it's because much like Charlie Brown running towards that ball that Lucy will inevitably pull away from him, the joy of the game is gone. Yeah. <laughs> the joy of the game, the joy of the podcast is gone. What are we playing for, Will? Like, what's our motivation now? Uh, so we hope that people are going to hear this. We recorded not one, but two separate podcasts last week that did not go up. Uh, I am listening to some recordings of the bits of them that did record, and maybe we'll find some bits and pieces that we can put up uh, that just work by themselves. But yes, not one, but two uh, podcasts last week uh, that did not go up. I'm having a good run at the moment, Charlie. Life's just been nothing but great. I'm still standing up. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I can't sit down because my back hurts so much. So what? Uh, what's the? Has there been an update on the diagnosis? What have the docs said? Lars, is that the? Is that the tip? They're going to send you to Germany? Yeah, my uh, doctor's name is Lars. <laughs> I have to go and see a guy called Lars. Uh, he's going to massage me act- every day to get me in and out of bed. <laughs> You're actually just seeing Lars from Metallica. He's just going to hit you back a bunch of times with his drumsticks. Well, here's the thing. Uh, Lars had such uh, powerful hands from drumming for all those years for Metallica. He's like, well, when we're not on tour, I've got to like idle hands, you know, the devil's work, you know. So he's like, I've got to put these hands to work, these magical hands. And he thought, you know what? Massage therapy. (laughs) That's something that I already have the hands for. So he's just been coming around and just massages me, yeah, in and out of bed. That's all I need him for. Well, it's kind of weird because the last time we had a crack at this podcast... Uh, it was on a Saturday where two games had played. So ordinarily, you know, we review the rounds. So this will be our, our second crack at reviewing the first two games of round 14 <laughs> before moving on. Uh, and we should also talk about the fact that because we're recording, I can't even remember what we've talked about or what we haven't talked about anymore. It's all just blurred <laughs> into one infinite mess. Like I have no idea if I'm repeating myself or like what round we're at at the footy. Like this, this insane podcast is is matching this insane season but we had an overnight moment of insanity as well because we have to talk about uh what happened at the trophy yeah so uh all right so malcolm turnbull (laughs) you can call on the prime minister to be a character witness now that's a thing isn't it one of those things where you just like it's the first time in the season that anyone's gone to the tribunal because basher hooley uh threw his arm back in that basher by name basher by nature uh, oh my God, finally somebody put those two things together. Uh, um, so I, 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 he threw his arm back. He claims, obviously, that he threw his arm back to kind of like knock uh, Lamb's arms away, but he got him smashed in the face, knocked him out. He was kind of knocked out before he hit the deck. So, you know, they went, well, that's immediately got to go to the tribunal, mm. right? So they go to the tribunal, and then the thing 
Well, they've, they've given him essentially four weeks, right? But because of his good character and the character witnesses they've brought in, they've knocked it down to two weeks. And this is what seems to have caused a fair bit of controversy. Mm. So is it the does the level of the standing of the character witness, like if he had brought in, say, I don't know, John Ibrahim to be like a character witness, does that hold less weight than the Prime Minister of Australia? Or just say you brought in Warwick Kappa, does that hold less weight than Malcolm Turnbull? Yes, <laughs> heaps less weight. <laughs> I think it's like, remember when the Chappelle Corby thing first happened and like she had this just like random collection of people who were representing her, like some like dodgy lawyer from the Gold Coast and crazy Ron Bakir was involved. And like, it was just this like kind of, oh, oh, that's a movie where they were able to have a budget where they could get one good actor or like 10 D grade <laughs> actors and put them together. It's... No, 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 no. I, yeah, I, I think it was one of those things where you've got to have like, I mean, high caliber. He had the Prime Minister of Australia. Um, obviously, Tony Abbott spoke against it. <laughs> yeah. And he had Waleed Ali, gold Logie winning Waleed Ali. Yeah, uh, it couldn't get Daryl Summers, multiple gold winning Daryl Summers to be a character witness. Oh, yeah, exactly. He was going to get Rove, but he's a Freo supporter, so he wouldn't, didn't want to be involved. He's got Ray Martin on speed dial. <laughs> In fact, if you want a gold Logie, <laughs> Bash has got your number. I'm going to represent one who is the greatest in each of their chosen professions. We have the Prime Minister, the top of politics. We have a gold Logie winner, the top of arts and entertainment. Uh, so, um, what, can you, because I actually didn't read much of the, um, so it was four weeks reduced to two. Was that, is that right? Yeah. Well, the AFL wanted four and uh, Richmond wanted two and they kind of, everyone thought they'd settle in between. But realistically, no, he got four and they've knocked two off because he's a good bloke. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, what do you think about that? Like, do you think character comes into play? Uh, well, I think character should be, come into play in like an instance I reckon on the ground, in the game character, probably should count more than what you do off the field, right? Yeah. So the fact that Basha Hooli's played for 13 years and he's never thrown an errant elbow and he's never played the game in a way that you would in any way think that this is representative of what he like plays. And there is enough sort of doubt in this moment that he, if he was throwing his arm back to get rid of guy's arms, he could have accidentally got a guy in the face, right? Yeah. Then, yeah, I mean, I think on-ground character in your record can come into that and you can go, no, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that even though you punched him in the face, that it's not in your character and it was probably a mistake, right? I, I reckon you can take that into account. Yeah. But if we take the off-field, are you a good bloke off the field, like, does it go the other way? Yeah. Is it like one of those things where you're going, well, they actually only got one week for the punch, but he got uh, eight weeks because we've heard he's been rooting his best mate's wife. So, <laughs> But it's also one of those things too, like it, it's subjective, right? What a good bloke is. Like Luke Hodge seems like a good bloke off the field, but whether or not like, and when it comes to a tribunal situation, a character like that off the field uh, serves, as a good, serves as a good guide, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be one of those jury of your peers I, sort of things. I mean, if you get... Because if you take the people who... Re- if, if, you get the, if you get, like, the security staff or the bar staff at your, of your player's local pub, and they say, oh, no, mate, he's great. <laughs> we love him when he comes down, puts heaps of money behind the bar, buys a round of drinks. Does that serve as a, a good character witness? Well, that's the other thing. If you take the people who rang up SEN when I was listening to it, uh, it's fair to say Basher wouldn't want them as uh, the character witness. They'd, they'd be more in the, oh, mate, he doesn't even fucking eat bacon. He's a shit bloke. 
I like this though. Here's what I would say about this. If there's an upside to this, is that um, what if we do allow people to get off their suspensions a little bit on the field if they're doing good public works? Could this be a, ga- a way, for example, for you to you know, mitigate if you do want to like punch someone mm. or if you're a bit punchy on the field, you get a bit of white line fever. What you mitigate it by is like working with orphans or you know donating your time charitably off the field, so that when you run on the field, you know they give you a bit of a balance. Yeah, you build up some credits. Community service. So you're basically what you're doing right. is paying community service in advance for the terrible things you're going to do on the field. Right. Yeah. Instead of it coming afterwards, yeah. sentenced by a judge, you go, "Oh no, I preemptively did eighty hours of working with yeah. the elderly, so I could punch the shit out of this bloke on Grand Final." So, so your coach says, "Hey, mate, you're going to be lining up on Barry Hall. Just to let you know, he's already done eighty hours of community service, so we think he's going to kill you." Yeah, we've been uh, doing a bit of forward scouting, and we've seen him uh, helping a lot of girl guides sell cookies. <laughs> yeah. So all I'm saying is, pack your mouth guard, Tiger. <laughs> Uh, I, I saw the incident, and to me, it did look accidental. I mean, I don't know um, what was it graded as just reckless. Was it graded as intentional? Uh, uh, who, uh, no, intentional. I think they. I think they actually ended up calling it intentional because he wasn't looking at the bloke when he threw it. Right, like it was just like he was running and he threw no, the arm back. But he had a little look beforehand. Which, again, you could do if you were looking to see where the bloke is. But if the thing, if you have a little look beforehand and then you follow that with punching him in the face, some people will connect the two and go, oh, that little look he had beforehand was so where he could see where his face was so he could punch him. <laughs> but do you remember Trent Cotchin, uh, it's about a month ago, he did a little jumper punch where he was like shoving yeah. a guy and then turned his head away and the next shove he did, the guy had moved and so he just punched him in the jaw and dropped him and he got off. That was like accidental yeah but they changed no, they, they changed the rules after that that's when they kind of try to crack down on the jumper, jumper punches punching. right like but it would have been i reckon uh, it would have been great if basher had gone back grabbed his jumper and then punched him in the face <laughs> i would have let him off yeah i would have gone you know what the high degree of difficulty of making that happen i'm sorry lammy not your fault mate do you remember like in the 80s you know before kind of like trial by video and when there was less umpires on the ground and stuff, like if you watched behind the play, especially for our teams, like if you're at the Witten Oval or at Moorabbin, if you kept your eyes on like Danny Frawley when the ball was at the other end of the ground, you'd see so much shit going on. Like it must be baffling for those older players to watch the game now and just go, right, you just can't like elbow a guy in the teeth when the ball's down the other end of the ground. What's it? What? You can't commit common assault on a complete stranger just because you're playing a ball game. Political greatness gone mad, mate. I remember watching Mick Martin and Tony Lockett at Moorabbin, the ball at the other end of the ground, and they had a full-on punch-up for like, it felt like it went for three or four minutes, like actual punches, like throwing punches and it went to the ground and they're rolling around in the dirt, and like hitting the fence and stuff and players coming. It was a full-on brawl and we loved it. It's an amazing choice that you needed to make at one stage in your life, though, to have a career in the sport that you loved, you also had to open yourself up to the fact that every now and again, somebody might just punch the (laughs) shit out of you. Like, that's tough working conditions, if you know what I mean. Like, if they said to you as an actor, oh, by the way, uh, welcome to Home and Away. We're going to sign you a four-year contract. But you've just got to be aware (laughs) of the fact that maybe every second week, Elf's just going to kick here. (laughs) Well, it's kind of, it always baffles me about ice hockey, the way that they have that rule where if two dudes want to punch on, they just stop the game and, and let them punch on. And I'm always like, at what 
level does that get introduced? Like, surely at junior level, they don't let the kids throw the gloves down and punch on. Like, at what point do you have to be okay with with punching on? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question, but here's what I do know. What I do know what I'm doing immediately after this podcast now, which is googling ice hockey fights, uh, kids fighting at ice hockey. <laughs> Like, if there is videos of kids having ice hockey fights, that is the rest of my day gone. Should we look at the first game that we have already talked about twice already? Well, see, here's the thing we should explain to the people at home as well. We're in different uh, parts of Australia today. Yeah. Uh, so we are doing this over the Skype, uh, recording it in different places. So we're hoping the fact that we're not in the same place will actually benefit uh, the uh, the podcast coming well, out. Well, I should actually say uh, I'm in South Australia and I uh, had to see a GP this morning and his office, like, uh, you know, because I was getting a medical and uh, they you have to list your history and sort of when it got down to like, have you ever engaged in any like, you know, illicit or illegal substances? When it got to that question, I noticed he had a bunch of Port Adelaide stuff on the wall. So I immediately changed the subject and said, geez, you guys are having a good year. Isn't it great? In the top four, Chad Wingard's a good play. It's good to see Charlie Dixon's come along. Oh boy, it worked a treat. He was a very proud Port Adelaide supporter. I must admit that I have to get a medical for work as well. And that is a question that fills me with fear and dread every year when I decide what sort of person I am. Am I the person who is just completely honest about these things or am I a person who gilds the lily a little? <laughs> I, I do what people wanted to do with the Basha Hooli suspension, I think. I think if we got three weeks, everyone would have been fine with it, but because it was kind of four to two, people are outraged by it. When it comes to answering that question uh, on my forms, I meet in the middle. <laughs> I had Malcolm Turnbull come in and give the character witness for me. (laughs) By the way, I I don't think Malcolm Turnbull even actually came in and gave him a character witness. I think I think they just took a clip of Malcolm Turnbull talking to Basha Hooli about like some other good thing that he was doing. Because that day, I think uh, they've just launched an initiative to get um, uh, the Muslim community more involved in AFL at the grassroots level. So I think. Basher was doing, uh, there was a press conference with Malcolm Turnbull. So Richmond, probably very, very smart, said, hey, Malcolm, while you're here, can we just get a little endorsement for Basher? In fact, while you're here, we've got a list of names. Can, you, can we get three and a pardon for Dusty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just while say, you're at just it. Just say these words. <laughs> I, Malcolm Turnbull, Prime Minister of Australia, pardon Dustin Martin <laughs> for all crimes. <laughs> Okay, and and just this one too. I, Malcolm Turnbull, Prime Minister of Australia, would like to demand we let Dustin Martin and his family back into the country. The first game of Round 14 feels like a long, long time ago now. It was a Thursday night game in this very city that I'm in right now. Uh, Hawthorne, 14-12, 96 defeated Adelaide, 12-10, 82, uh, in one of the shock upsets of the year. Now... I've been listening to a lot of the, uh, the footy podcasts and, and reading a lot of the papers. The big question out of this game, Will, is do Adelaide have a plan B? Well, what I'm hearing, uh, Charlie, from the fact that you are in uh, South Australia and you just this morning had a medical, uh, I believe that you might be their plan B. <laughs> or maybe you're their plan C. Yeah, plan C. Late rookie draft. I'm plan CC. You know what? They're just like, you know what? I've seen this guy play a cop. I've seen this guy play a counsellor. You know what? This guy can play centre-half forward. I wasn't even sure that uh, uh, 
that Adelaide were a one-speed team. I, I, it's only now that they're under the microscope that everyone's been saying, oh, they can only play one way. It's over the top and quick, out the back. They don't, they don't know how to play when the game's not on their terms. Did you notice that before this round? Yeah, but also, here's the thing about football. That's mostly hmm. how football is played. Like, teams, when they're playing their way, they, they play really well. And when they're not allowed to play their way, they don't play that well. I mean, I know that people like think that these these magical like plan B, but I've heard this said about St Kilda mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of teams is like you don't have a second gear. I think just sometimes you're like, well, maybe we're just not executing our first gear, our game plan, the thing that we're meant to be doing. We're doing that, we're not doing that properly. Well, the the recurring theme with these losses seems to be tagging Rory Sloan. And I saw uh, AFL 360 last night, and your favourite sports journalist, Robbo, uh, Tex Walker was on because he's just signed a new contract. And Robbo's gone, uh, yeah, uh, now Tex, uh, when the players at the start of the game go up to, to Sloaney and they get around and they get into him, well, what are you going to do something? What are you going to do something? And Tex is like, all right, Robbo, what would you like us to do? Robbo had no answer, <laughs> surprisingly. Uh, every single conversation of you reliving a moment from AFL 360 could end in, and Robbo had no answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. What are they meant to do? In fact, Rory Sloan, I mean, I thought he played okay on the weekend. Like, he, he worked his way into the game and stuff like that. He's a good enough player that he'll work out a way to deal with it. But they've got to be better than it all being about Rory Sloan. If, I mean, they won the week before when Rory Sloan got tagged. Yeah. I mean, look, I just think it is... I feel like we should stop being surprised by upsets by this stage of the year. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, St Kilda's had two very uninspiring victories. But, fuck, man, I will take a five-goal win in a season when your team can lose to anybody on the ladder. Like, I think this is not the season to be questioning, you know... What is the exact science of why team losses? It's just an even competition. And if you are, to be a, quote a cliche, if you are 10% off your best, then you'll lose. Yeah, if you're 10% off your best that you need to be as an AFL player, so you're only 100% as opposed to the 110% <laughs> you meant to be operating <laughs> at at all times. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean, it, it feels like now we've got enough evidence that this season anything can happen that if you're still surprised by the fact that anything happens, then it's your fault. You haven't been paying attention enough. It's like watching up until episode six of Twin Peaks and turning to your friend and going, hey, this is a bit weird. I'm not really sure what's going on. Yeah, that's Twin Peaks, mate. You're not going to know what's going on by the end of it, I imagine, either. You know, there will be some resolution to this AFL season, but don't, like, walk into an M. Night Shyamalan movie and and be shocked there's a twist at the end. That's what there's going to be. But it's also this idea of, well, the quality of the win. Were you convincing in your win? Fuck, mate. Like, a win's a win's a win. I mean, maybe I'm saying this because my team is on the fringes of the eight and I just want to get in there, but... I honestly, like all the games I've seen this year, like of course there's been like missed skills and stuff, but to me that suggests a high-pressure game. Like it's a highly competitive game as opposed to just being like an an amateur hour. I would love though if they go back, maybe if there's two teams that are stuck on the exact same percentage uh, come the finals this year, and it's a crazy enough season that that could happen. You have a team finished eighth and a team finished ninth and they're on the exact same percentage, and they go back and they decide, well, what we do in this situation, it's a little known AFL rule, but we actually go back and we get an independent panel to assess Uh, whether they were convincing or non-convincing wins. And it's a really subjective thing in the end. We've never got to this. We never thought we would. We actually put it in because we needed to finish the meeting and we never thought it would come up. But 
That's how I it is. I think we go one step further and we bring in character witnesses, but for entire clubs. And the way you do that is you determine right. who are the biggest celebrity supporters of that club. So, for instance, uh, St Kilda are 8th and the Bulldogs are ninth right now, separated by 0.9%, I think, at the moment. So... We would have to get Molly Meldrum, Shane Warden, and Eric Banner in to speak on our behalf as character witnesses. And you'd get, well, I guess you, um, Shane Delia. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that I'm a great character <laughs> witness, witness. It'd be me and me and Robert Gronawagan standing next to each other going. So, uh, we, we got anything in common, Tiger? <laughs> well, you would be a character witness, but you would never make the flight down there to to give you testimony. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. The AFL sponsored by Virgin, so oh, I'll right. be fine. <laughs> How good was it to see Sean Burgoyne doing what Sean Burgoyne does? Just be awesome forever. Yeah. Like that's like that's clearly his plan. Like he's one of those guys who's just How old is he? Like I think he's I think he's underrated because he's just so consistently reliable. Sometimes we take for granted someone who is just so consistently good, but his capacity, like in big moments to influence games, but do it in a way that just, he's like, yeah, no, this is what I do. Like Sean Burgoyne plays football like Liam Neeson hunts down missing daughters. <laughs> like he just has a certain set of skills that are applicable to the situation and he just goes about his business. Yeah, and he only, he's also that kind of player where he only needs a few touches because he just never wastes a possession. And he's 34 years old, Mike Hal's telling us. Holy shit. Like, he's playing as well now as he ever has. I think you said in one of our many lost recordings that, like, if his career had finished after Port Adelaide, you'd be happy with that. Premiership player, champion player, then, you know two, three premierships at Hawthorne, and he's still going that well. Mate, if you were going to make a list of the top 10 Indigenous players to ever play the game, Sean Burgoyne at Port Adelaide and Sean Burgoyne at Hawthorne <laughs> could both make the list of the top 10. Like, And I think his Hawthorne career, you know, he's been, I mean, obviously he's won more flags and those sort of things, but just the way that he's played football at Hawthorne and the way that, like, I mean, the thing that's amazing about someone like Burgoyne to me is, that the game that he is playing now is actually a completely different game to the game that mm. he started playing 15 yeah, years true. ago. And he's managed, to be, he's managed to be awesome at the game how it was played back then and also the game how it's played right now. And that capacity to just adapt his game to the modern day game as it changes. It doesn't matter if it was big marking. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, flood defense. It doesn't matter if it's this new, you know, fast moving handball. Mm. He's been great at all of the versions of the game. So hypothetically, not that this has even been discussed or on the table, but if you were, say, like... Oh, no, Port's a good example. Just say Port. Like, okay, well, we're top four now. It would be great just to get a bit of extra silk just for, like, you know, if we're going to be contending in the next couple of years. Is he worth taking on? 34 years old. Bombshell! Honestly, if we were an actual proper football podcast and in the actual proper <laughs> football media... That we right now they would be playing like a fucking sound effect that was like bombshell, <laughs> like Charlie's dropped a bomb, Burgoyne back to Port Adelaide, wants to do a Gary Ablett. I mean, it is one of those things that you could like in this current football day media. If this was like Jared and Robbo who just had this hypothetical conversation, this would be news tomorrow and they'd be being asked about it by the yeah. weekend because you could paint that story. You could easily tell me the story that Port Adelaide, say, finish like sixth or seventh this year. 
they just miss out. You know, they feel like they're that one good, you know, player and a bit of experience away from like being able to take it to the next level. Hawthorne, they're not going to be back in the premiership window in the next couple yeah. of years. But what Hawthorne desperately need is some draft picks because they've like traded all theirs away or maybe even some young players. So maybe Port Adelaide has a way they can give like Hawthorne a couple of young players for Burgoyne to come home and finish his career where he started his career. There's a, you know, you could sell it as mm. a poetic story. It'd be great for the club. Man, it's got as much. That's, that's good. It's Charlie. got as much in magic fact, as just even Ablett, running through Ab- that in my head. I can't convince myself that's not happening. Yeah, it's got as much magic to it as Ablett going back to Geelong. Surely, I mean, he's a South Australian right. like legend. Get him back to Port. Let's start that movement. Hashtag Burgoyne to Port. No, that doesn't. It's not very catchy. Um, Burgoyne and back again. <laughs> Sean of the Port <laughs> doesn't quite work. Burgoyning home. No. <laughs> Sean on the 4th of July. We'll work on a note. <laughs> um, Re-Sean. Yeah, he, he, he's an out-and-out champion. And it's just, it's one of those kind of players too where it's like, I mean, I have no love for Hawthorne, but I am happy to watch uh, like a compilation of Sean Burgoyne highlights. And also not a bad vocal warm-up for an actor. Sean Burgoyne. Sean Burgoyne. It really gets that, you know, that top palette moving. <laughs> Yeah, and he's they're an amazing family because isn't he married to uh, Aaron Phillips who won the AFL Players Association Best and Fairest? I believe he might be married to her sister. Right, so those like it's so amazing, those kids should a lot be of in really the amazing. AIS immediately. <laughs> Just like put those kids in the system. Yeah, whatever's going on, like well that. I mean that's interesting, right? I don't know if he has kids. Uh, my, maybe he Mike does. Noel, you could Google. No, he does. I, I was he, what? No, he definitely has oh. kids. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're right. So he's got four kids. Um, they they would qualify for father son father daughter both at Port Adelaide and Hawthorne, right? I guess they would. Yeah. Does Hawthorne doesn't have a, a team, do they? A girls team? No, but I mean from the, from what I've seen of his kids, they're not quite ready to play in the no. NFL. <laughs> I'm imagining. <laughs> Although, knowing who their father is, maybe they are. They're pretty talented. (laughs) Right? But they would be kids that you can imagine those two clubs going to war over because if they managed to have those sort of sporting genes, you would be very excited about having them on your list, I would have thought. Yeah, it's funny. um, uh, The Bounce on Saturday, they have a little segment which is like driving in the cars with the kids or something where it's footballers driving around with their kids and, you know, the, the players ask their you know, kids' questions about, you know, what do you think of, you know, my team and, and my playing career and stuff? It's quite funny. And so you saw Sean and... Hey, I've got to be honest with you, I've never seen that. And after I watch uh, kids uh, getting in ice hockey fights, I'm going straight uh, to... It's great. Because that sounds charming and delightful. It is charming and delightful. And just the sheer lack of respect the kids have for their, their decorated parents' careers. But uh, Brian Lake's driving around with his kids. And he's... I think he's got a boy and a girl... They just look like Brian Lake. It is insane. It's like, you know, when cartoon characters have a child and it, like Milhouse's dad is just a giant version of Milhouse. Like Brian Lake's kids just look like mini Brian Lakes. Um, uh, Sean Burgoyne has two boys and two girls. Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. Can uh, f- furnish both the AFLW and the uh, AFL. Regular. Let's move to the SCG on Friday night uh, in perhaps the most Richmondy non-Richmond game of the season. The Swans, 11-20-86, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat from the Bombers, 12-13-85. This was probably one of my favourite games of the year, I think. I actually, 
watched this till right up until just before three-quarter time. I was at a friend's place, and then it was about a 15-minute drive to get home. So by the time I got – I left when the Swans looked like they had the game under control, about 20 points up, got home to see that Dons had kicked like five goals in a row, and it was on. And what a pulsating last five minutes. Like, it just – I mean, I know people talk about it being like Richmondy esque, but it was it was excellent. Like it was a I I can see the I can see the parallels, but there was something special going on in that game. Well, I think it's fitting that you left your friend's house because it turned out that we've been talking recently about how we think that Sydney is getting better at actually being a proper sporting town and supporting their way in a proper sporting footy way. Uh, there were Sydney fans leaving that game who had to charge back in when it all went their way. There were people really? streaming out of the ground when it was clear that Essendon was going to win towards the end. It was like, oh, well, this is over. And you saw Sydney people get up and go, well, I'm going to beat the fucking traffic. It's a nightmare around here. And then you saw them at the end having to kind of do that thing of going, uh, oh, no, I was just going to the toilet. I don't know. No, I wasn't leaving. No, no, no. Just going back to my seat where I was always going to be right up until the end, no matter what the result was. It was just one of those things where – there were so many moments where it looked like Essendon were going to ice the game. Like that Danaher mark, inspirational. Like that's the kind of team lifting. Right. That should have been the moment that, you know, won them the game. But then, geez, like BJ, poor old BJ. Now, what do you think? He's copped a lot of criticism for that. What else are you meant to do when there's a minute to go? You're up by a few points. You, you just go to boot it long, right? That's what, that's what you do. That's all he was trying to do. Well, I think, you know, a lot of the time when we criticise what the players do, what we're actually criticising is the execution of what they were trying to do. Mm. He should have just done that, but better. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like the thing that he did was such a crazy option to take. He just didn't do a great job of executing what it was that he was trying to achieve. Yeah. I mean, I do love in those kind of um, post-mortems of the game, when, you know, they bring out the light pen and stuff and they, what's that weird, you know, that weird effect they do in like the, the it's not the war room, the lab, where they'll do like that wide shot of the ground and they'll start sliding players around to show you like, you know, the distance they are from the ball and where they should be and stuff. It's like, this shit is kind of pointless. Like, I mean, it just, to me, it makes no sense, that kind of stuff. Like, of course, the, that player should have been there, but they but they weren't. Like, you sliding your imaginary toys around this virtual uh, Monopoly board makes no sense to me. It does always feel like one of those things of like, you know, if there was a scene in a movie of gods yeah. playing, yeah. With, you know what it was like? It's like fucking Westworld. Yeah. Stop it, you Westworld motherfuckers. <laughs> They're not robots. They're human beings. They make mistakes. They don't do everything perfectly. You want everyone to be fucking robots and then the robots will take over. That's what I would say to Kingy if he invited me into the lab. What do you feel about Gary Rowan's uh, heroic mark in the goal square? Thank you for re-bringing that up because we did just d talk about it the other day. I just don't feel it was heroic. I feel like it's overstated to say that a guy wrestling with another guy on the goal line and the ball accidentally dropping into his arms is heroic. I, I think that doesn't get you a right to march on Anzac Day because you fucking accidentally <laughs> dropped a ball when you were trying to fucking <laughs> wrestle with a guy. See, that's the thing. You say that it was like a fluke. I reckon that was... He, it was excellent body work. Like, he manoeuvred that player out of the way to give himself the best chance of taking that mark. I don't think it accidentally dropped into his arms like his Forrest Gump. You know, this kind of Mate, savant footballer. I, 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 okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring some character witnesses. Okay. And they're going to people... 
who have looked at previous moments in Gary Rowan's career and they're going to testify on my behalf that it was indeed a fluke. And these people are going to be teammates of Gary Rowan. <laughs> well, I could also be brought as a character witness because it was me, your good pal, Charlie Clawson, who at the grand final told you not to worry about Gary Rowan because I didn't rate him very highly. But I think maybe the, the, the heroism tag might be coming. It's, I think there's a little... There's a little uh, uh, reference to the fact that he's had a bad run of it. Like, he, he was almost dead a few weeks ago when he fell on his neck. We all thought that maybe he'd paralyzed himself. And the fact that he's come back and had a few good weeks in a row, I think maybe people are like, oh, well, that's heroic, considering where he's come from to where he is now. Okay. If that had happened in the same game, yeah. I'm with you. Heroic. If he'd gone from being, like, carried off and we all thought he was dead to kicking the match-winning goal after the siren, that is, without a doubt, a heroic victory for Gary Rowan. But too much time had gone in between for me to consider that heroic feat. Yeah, Will says, you're not heroic, you're heroin. Yeah, you, 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 no, you're not on heroin. No, sorry, mate. Sorry, you're heroic. <laughs> All right, Mike, how can you bring up the next game, please? Oh, wow, this is appropriate, considering uh, my good friend, uh, the doc I saw this morning. Port Adelaide, uh, in a thumping victory over Collingwood, 13-15-93 uh, to Collingwood's 9-8-62. We watched a bit of this game, because this was uh, during our second attempt at recording the show. A bit disappointing from the old pies. I think I tipped them for that game. Yeah, they were... Um, I think Port Adelaide were good. I, here's what I will say. I think they put out they were pretty good, but this was one of Collingwood's worst performances of the year from mine. Like it just didn't feel like, I mean, every team's had that day. And I know this as a Bulldogs supporter, like there's been a lot of those days of late where your team just does not look that great. But this was the one where you were just like, I don't know what's going on today, Collingwood. It was, you know, I think, you know what I think it probably was though, Charlie, mm -hmm. uh, if I could assign it to one thing is, I just feel like this is the true premiership hangover from 2010. <laughs> Why? I, I think Pendles was right, mate. Like, yeah. people haven't seen the effects that Heath Shaw's partying back in those days has had on, you know, this current day team. You think the Rat Pack? This is like, this is finally the chickens have come home to roost for the Rat Pack? Yeah, I, bl I blame uh, Dane Swan for this weekend's Alan result. Alan Didak? I point the finger at Didak. I hope he was the one who copped it most in the postgame. <laughs> I hope Buckley uh, put together some uh, lowlights from the game and posted it to Alan Didak. <laughs> yeah, it was just a bit of an uninspiring game all round. Like, it's funny. I was kind of glad that our recordings didn't make it to air because these first three games, I could not get a tip right. I tipped Adelaide, I tipped Essendon, and I tipped Collingwood. And it was just a, it was just a, a shit fight. It's kind of weird. I think the, the thing about Collingwood this year is it feels like they have to work really, really hard for every victory like nothing seems to come easy for them and it's not I'm not just talking about on the field but the scrutiny they get off the field this constant speculation about Buckley like I sort of feel like you know this Collingwood Buckley thing is like a relationship where you just know that they're not right for each other it's not healthy but they're just going to stick together anyway because they, that's all they know yeah I bet you know maybe it'll work out like sometimes you know Sometimes it feels like that from the outside because you don't know everything about the relationship. You don't know what they're like at home, mm. you know. You're only seeing when they're out and about and you're like, oh, they're fighting all the time and they don't seem to be getting along that well. But maybe 
in the moments whether they're together they have this like beautiful relationship and they just need an opportunity to be able to take this beautiful relationship they have together and be able to express that to the outside world and at the moment there's been some hiccups in the way there's been some injuries and there's been overdue pressure on how they appear in public and maybe I, I like to look at Richmond of last year you would say Richmond of last year pretty similar to what was Buckley's going on a bit in that People were really coming after Hardwick. They were like, yeah, the players love him, but he doesn't have a game plan and blah, blah, blah. And now people are like, oh, look at those guys. Yeah. I'm so glad that they worked it out. Yeah, but how, I guess Buckley and, and Hardwick have both been in the job about the same amount of time, haven't they? Feels like that. And they've, Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Richmond, even though they're a super big club, don't get the, uh, you know, uh, pointed attention that Collingwood gets, but... But you felt like it was a similar situation. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a re- it's been a real year of. I mean, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say mediocrity, but it's this kind of anticlimax with Collingwood. They just don't seem to kind of get that run on that year. They have. There's never been. Well, no team's really had a good solid run of wins. But it's it's Collingwood to me. Don't feel like that that behemoth, that mega club, that scary. Where's that Collingwood chant that used to? Make you know, chill me to the bone from you know seven years ago. Yeah, but mate, I don't think they're very good. Yeah, right. Like this is the thing that people seem to like. They talk about it being Buckley, and look, you can assign blame on whoever you know had some of the selections and stuff like that. But I just think overall they're not as good as some of the other teams. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And what about Port? Like, because they haven't really beaten anyone that great. But in a season where anyone can win, you just take a victory, right? Mate, Port Adelaide should write, write on the fucking whiteboard at the front of every game, where anyone. Because in a season where anyone can win, all you have to be is anyone. Yeah, it's true. And also, I'm convinced that the Hoff and Charlie Dixon are actually the same person. <laughs> oh, I, I know that to actually be a case because I saw a couple of paparazzi photos of Charlie Dixon passed out in a gutter eating a hamburger. So, <laughs> What? And often oh, right, when he yeah. first went to Port Adelaide, it looked like he was running very slow motion as well. So, like he was running through sand. <laughs> In fact, that's that's how he that's how he does it at the beach in the recovery sessions. He's very hoff. Up uh, at spot the stadium, the GWS Giants twenty two fourteen one hundred forty six. That's an old school scoreline for you. Defeated the Brisbane Lions twelve fourteen eighty six. Brisbane do what they do every week. They hang in there for about a half. They do some good things and then they fall away. Yeah, that sounded about right. What do you th- pretty accurate summer, you, summary? So GWS, uh, according to uh, most of on the couch. Still flag favourites, everyone's number one. Your, your flag favourites, you still got them in there? Yeah, I would say. I mean, because they've been playing with half a team and they've still managed to keep winning. So I feel like if they, if well, they were it, to win the grand final this year, it would be one of the kind of more deflating, underwhelming victories in AFL-VFL history. Well, you know what it would be? It would be a season, if this was a TV show, that promised so much and then had the predictable result that everybody thought it was going to be at the start of the yeah, season. Yeah, it's kind of like when Lost, when people started speculating early on with Lost that they're all dead and they're in purgatory. And then that turns out that's the case. <laughs> yeah, they're like, ah. It promised maybe that that wasn't going to be, ah. Well, I guess that's what the thing we've got to decide. Do we think this season will be one that we're remembered as being like really interesting during the season and you never knew what was going to happen? Mm. But at the end of the day, the you know, GWS, the team that everyone thought was going to win, ended up winning? Or 
in the most unlikely of all seasons, is the winner going to be the least likely team to win it? In which case, Richmond. I'm putting all my money on Richmond. Do you think if the grand final is between GWS and Port, it's still a sellout? Uh, mate, yeah, it'll be a great sellout at Punt Road where they'll have it. <laughs> Spotless Stadium. They'll have it at Spotless and they'll still have to give away 500 tickets. Although we went to the Port Brisbane Grand Final and that was in the early 2000s and that was a sellout. And that was two expansion clubs oh, at their time. Well, the other thing is that like half of it's corporates regardless, yeah. right? And then the rest of it, it's one of those things where I've heard that people who uh, support other clubs have been buying GWS memberships because GWS at the moment don't have enough members when they give away the tickets. So they're like, oh, well, if my team makes it, like if, if Richmond make it, there's no point in me having a Richmond membership because there's 80,000 other people who'll be trying for tickets. But if I have a GWS membership, I can buy finals tickets. <laughs> Yeah, I think the only way to if GWS do win, it has they have to be there has to be an, a compelling opponent that they're up against. Like I don't know, like a Melbourne or someone like who hasn't you know won and won in a long time. I think if it was a Melbourne GWS Grand Final, you would get like ninety percent of the country going for Melbourne, and that would hold some interest. And then if Melbourne could push them, and still GWS win, then maybe it wouldn't be as deflating. But if it's like you know, GWS going up against, I don't know, anyone else, Geelong, and then just smashing him and winning by 50 points, then I think it will be a fairly underwhelming grand final. I mean, I, if it was Melbourne GWS, you can imagine it would be branded the, it's kind of the millennials grand yeah. final, isn't it? I mean, GWS are all the sort of young, Arrogant. you know, you know <laughs> superstar players. And then you've got Melbourne, who again had a hot lot of high draft picks, but they're also, to me, they feel like, they feel like the meme football club more than the Melbourne football club. Like, you know, Tommy Bugs on Instagram, throwing out shade. Clayton Oliver's on Twitter, throwing out shade. I'm like... <laughs> it's unbelievable, right? Like, I mean, it must be baffling for, like, all those older commentators to just go, what is Snapchat? What is Twitter? What are they doing? Insta what? Yeah, I mean, it's changed really quickly. And the way that these young players have, like, you know, taken to the idea that they're, they're going to be you know, vocal online and have these attitudes. I mean, I like yeah, it. me too. And I like it also because you have a lot of, I think it's really interesting and it's mm. really legitimate. You know, they live their life in those spaces, so let them live their life in those spaces. We want more personality from footballers, yeah. you know. Um, but it's also one of those things where I love nothing more than the older guys just not understanding yeah. it. Yeah, well, they... Like, there's nothing better to me... Than people like old footballers trying to explain what Twitter is, <laughs> or old footballers trying to fucking like go like like talk through what it being tagged on Instagram is. Like you've not spent a greater eight minutes than Tony Shaw trying to explain how you tag someone on Instagram. That's you don't need anything else in your life. It was great seeing uh, they were asked Jordan Lewis on three sixty last night. You know, have you spoken to Clayton about sending his tweets out? And Jordan Lewis is like. Mate, I can't tell him not to do that. Like, the dude loves it. And he's right up for the fight. Like, what did he say to... Was it Matthew Hayden? No. Uh, Damien Martin. No, Damien Martin. So, I, I will declare an interest in this, okay. which is that I know Damien Martin. Yeah. And I consider him to be a very nice guy. Uh, he's also a West Coast Eagles supporter. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, Clayton Oliver. Um, look, there's been some speculation about how hard he was punched on the face before he fell. Well, the I think right? I think the thing was, it's conf it's actually misleading footage because a punch is thrown, 
and then he drops like you know a couple of seconds after but when you see it in slow motion and you see the photos it's not the punch that clips him it's actually the elbow on the follow-through and he actually does cop it it's just the angle is weird so it looks when you see it from the the angle that everyone's seen it looks like he just fakes it but he actually did cop it right well not everybody believes that to be true charlie (laughs) it turns out some people uh, believe him. Uh, I've watched him play a lot of football and he looks hard as nails and I can't imagine that he would fall to the ground uh, and fake something like that. It just doesn't really seem to be. So I think that he probably did get caught off guard by whatever hit him and for whatever reason, as these things can do, um, I remember I got punched in the face. Uh, I've been punched in the face more than once, but I got punched in the face uh, once playing footy when I was in about, like, I was about 14 or 15. And the guy just caught me with an uppercut. And I remember that, like, for a second, I just stood there kind of stunned. <laughs> and I would have probably, to everybody else, just looked like, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. And then, like, I fell over <laughs> because suddenly my head, you know. Your body caught up to your like, head. You've seen it in boxing, yeah, yeah. right? Like, like in boxing, occasionally, like, you know, you see them just like punching each other in the head, like full on. And then there'll just be like one little uppercut and the dude just like falls to the ground. Yeah, I think it was definitely, there was something there. But um, so what I wasn't aware, what 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 was Clayton Oliver referring to in his dig back about the shot that he played? Okay. So Damian Martins, uh, you know, tweeted, what are we watching? Soccer. soccer yeah. You know, because in Which, soccer they Which, by the teams, way, right? I didn't think was... Like, I didn't think it was a direct attack on Clayton Oliver. Like, I, I mean, I, I felt like Clayton took that a bit hard, took it a bit personally, right? Yeah, I mean, look, here's one of those things where it's one of those, like, it, it, it just felt like there was a room for there to be a reaction to that. But, like, someone, like, served, so Damian Martin's weighed in and he's given Clayton Oliver a little bit of a serve, right? Accused him of faking it or acting or whatever. And... Clayton Oliver has given it a bit of that's not a knife. Yeah, this is yeah, a fucking yeah, knife. Totally. And returned serve like a dad playing fucking tennis against his kid <laughs> right. who's just decided to whack one right back across the neck and go to the worst moment of Damian <laughs> Martin's life. Like literally a thing that he has talked about in books, how he had to get therapy, like how he was out of the Australian team for like seven years, how it was the darkest period, how he thought about giving up cricket, something to this day that he still is like tormented by and has had to reconcile his life about. That That's where he's gone immediately, like to his softest fucking spot and gone right in there. Not only has he said, maybe you should concentrate more on this shot you played. Yes. It was not a great shot, but what people forget about Damian Martin that day was he'd actually batted quite well up until that point in order. He played a bad shot, but a lot of people that day played bad. Yeah, it's not... Anyway, firstly that, right? Not only have you brought up this thing, a thing that you were not born... Yeah. uh, Born when that happened. You were literally not even a human being when the worst moment of another human being's life happened and you're going to go back immediately, first response, with that as your first response. It's like finding out you have termites and burning your fucking house down. And to top it off, he posted a link to that moment. In case Damien Martin had forgotten the worst moment in his life. Charlie, the response was disproportionate. And here's what I'm also going to say. I fucking love it. 
So do you think they need to bring in a character witness for Clayton Oliver? Oh, mate. All reckless these character intent, Reckless, like, intentional, high contact. And uh, extraordinary. <laughs> it was one of those things where you were just like, if I mean, and I don't know, maybe, like, who knows, in this world, maybe it's not even his account. Maybe it's somebody pretending to be him. No. But if that is him... No, no, he, he claimed it. Like, that's the thing. Uh, this is the thing about this new demon's side. They own this shit. They love it. They're not taking the backward step. There's something that I think it's adorable. It's adorable this year. But if this continues, we won't find it as adorable. Like, it'll become... They're in, to me... They're in danger of becoming like West Coast of the mid 2000s, that kind of cocky arrogance. Not nothing else like West Coast. Let me just say off the bat, I'm not alluding to anything else like West Coast of the mid 2000s. But that sheer kind of like cocky arrogance, sportsman arrogance. I think if we're loving it now because Melbourne haven't done anything for fucking ages. But if they win a granny this year or they go close next year, we're not going to be so tolerant of that. It's going to be a reason to dislike them. Yeah, but it, like for for once we're feeling something that isn't pity, sympathy, <laughs> and pity for Melvin. Like it's just nice to feel something, you know. Yeah, no, it is good. On Saturday night, uh, your boys, the Western Bulldogs, in a thriller, fifteen seventeen one oh seven, defeated the Kangaroos, who were pretty good, sixteen ten one oh six. I didn't see a lot of this game. Did you watch it? I watched the entirety of okay, this game. Okay, tell me. And uh, for most. Uh, well, for most of it, I was feeling pretty good, to be honest. It was one of those games where you're like, ah, oh, the Bulldogs aren't playing great. But they were consistently two or three goals ahead like, and looked like that was just going to be the case. It was, you know, and I was like, that's okay. Good little run. You know, that's okay. Get some, get some confidence up. We've got to get a win. And then in the final quarter, North just really started playing, you know, fantastic football. And the Bulldogs didn't seem to have any answers for it. And in the end... Uh, much like the first time we played North Melbourne this season, like I can honestly say that, like if you looked at the game as an entirety, the Bulldogs were the better team for most of the game. Mm. But North Melbourne, like the Bulldogs, a kicked badly and kept North Melbourne in it close enough that when they did start playing really well, then yeah, they should have won. Like we were very very lucky. Like it all came down basically. Well, there was a few. I mean, the, we're getting a good run with the umpires. And yeah, there's been some discussion about that again after the game. Um, I think the style we play, you know, generates a lot of free kicks because there was also a lot of where watching this game where I was like, oh, I don't think we got the fair one of that free kick, you know. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, I think North Melbourne have been desperately unlucky against the Bulldogs probably twice. You could you could mount a, a very... And in the last minute before Stringer kicked that point, I, I, Justin was over watching the game and I just said, well, this is it. This like, this is the season. If they lose this, then, you know, I think this season is done. So, um, there's, there's weird moments where I start trying to rationalize with North Melbourne through the TV. Like I am like literally yelling, this is my supporting. I'm going, you don't need this. Like, this could still define our season. This is useless to you. In fact, this is not a good, like, you want a, like, a lower on the, you want a better draft yeah. pick. This is a useless win. You've got all the moral, this is good. This is a good sign. You took the reigning premiers to within a kick again. But this is a useless victory for you. We need you, it. I'd love it. You know how they. We'll give you one later when we don't need it. When they mic up a player, I would love it if it was Bont mic'd up and that's exactly what he was yelling at the North players as he was running past. 
Uh, well, you mentioned miking up. We did not uh, talk about this when we talked about the uh, Hawthorne game. Have we talked about? Yeah, we did talk about Hawthorne. Yeah. This is all blurring together. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But we did. But yeah, it was first yeah, game. Yeah, that's right. But we, are you going to talk about Hodgie being miked up? Hodgie being miked yeah. up. More players panting, uh, please. Firstly, oh mate. Well, normally, I honestly think the miking up of the players is the most ridiculous thing that they sell as an insight into go, the game go, of all go, fucking time. Over here, over here, over here. Get back, get back, get back. No. All right, good, good stuff. Billy, Billy, good work. Wow, what tremendous insight we're getting here. <laughs> Hang on, I think that guy needs some medical attention. This Is this an Asthmatics or Us? Podcast, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> this is not an insight into the game. Even from me doing that uh, breathing just then, my head is spinning. <laughs> Take five. Take a break, mate. We'll, we'll do rotations. Uh, yeah, I think Bont is was back in form, which is good for you guys. He's been a bit quiet the last week or so. Um, but it's just one of those things where I feel like Anyone out of all those teams that are sort of huddled around, you know, 28 points at the moment, so from like fourth down to ninth or tenth, who fucking knows? Like, this is a thing. Like, I keep hearing these football pundits saying, oh, well, you know, the top eight's finished. No, it's not. We don't know what's going to happen. Like, if the Bulldogs get a run on, they know how to win finals and they know how to win finals from a low position. So, I wouldn't count the Bulldogs out. They're not playing great footy at the moment and they don't have a great percentage and they don't have a great wins tally. But, you know, they proved last year that they can... All they need to do is sneak in the gate and then they're a chance. Bevo didn't go to the coach's dinner at Gil McLaughlin's house. I couldn't find a natty polo neck to wear this year. (laughs) I was like, he apparently had a prior commitment. I'm like, hang on, what else did you have on, Bevo? That you can't go to Gil's house. You know what they're going to do? They're all going to get around and they're going to talk about how the Bulldogs get too many free kicks because you're not there to defend us, mate. Yeah. This is bullshit. Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, Will. Like, you've talked. We'll get, to the, we'll get to the Carlton game, but I'm telling you, all those super clubs who you think you're sitting at the same table as them now, they're making fun of you behind your back. Like, do you think Essendon and Carlton and West Coast, do you reckon all those coaches are saying nice things about Bevo and the Bulldogs behind the back? No. You guys are not welcome at their table. Yeah, it's true. Like when they got offered a glass of wine, they make little snide jokes like, I might have two, you know, like the amount of premierships the Bulldogs <laughs> have in their whole career. <laughs> Meanwhile, Alan Richards, coffee in the money. Alan Richardson, just a single tear rolls down his cheek. He doesn't speak up. Maybe I don't say anything. They won't, they won't make fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, over uh, at the main stadium, uh, another thriller. Can you believe it, Will? Melbourne, 15-9-99, defeated West Coast, 14-12-96. Like, I mean, I think the Essendon Swans game I liked more was, I I, I liked the ending more, but this was pretty fucking good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is like, you know what it is this weekend when you say, can you believe it? Yes, I can believe it. Like, you know, the theme of this season is expect the unexpected, which has always seemed like a stupid expression, but it's what you, like, of course this is what's going to happen. It was one of those things where you were just like, West Coast, again, I just thought West Coast were going to win this game. Yeah, everyone did. I mean, it was such, uh, Max Gorney being back, like Melbourne, this is, 
I said to you last week, I think, like, you know, is, this is no longer the Melbourne we know. Like, this is a, we're looking at a completely new team. And this kind of win just further cements them as being like, yeah, they can almost eradicate all the last 10 years, all those horrible memories. Got to keep this list together and they've got to win a few more games. But they're definitely heading in the right direction. Yeah, it really feels like when Jack Watts kicked that goal – uh, at the MCG, it kind of like it was like the unlocking mm. of some ancient curse. Mm. Like there's been a few steps along the way they had to do it to build Melbourne back up again. And one of them was you had to, they had to win at Eddie had after so long. They've had these long streaks against teams. They had to start to learn how to win mm. two in a row and then three in a row. And now they seem to be winning these games that they're unexpected. This is this is a whole new Melbourne. This is not your. This is not your daddy's Melbourne, Charlie. <laughs> this is a whole new Melbourne. Well, the Jack Watts thing is interesting because I reckon that serves as a good guide. All this pressure that gets heaped on like a Paddy McCartan or a Tom Boyd or whatever. And Jack Watts copped it for fucking six years. Six years of being the worst number one draft pick of all time and what a waste and blah, blah, blah. And why didn't they go for Nat Nui? But like... You cannot... Uh, I think, by the way, that a lot of that uh, he's the worst number one draft pick of all time was actually they found out it was uh, Anthony Bannock, uh, <laughs> the Richmond number one draft pick, who was running most of those sites. <laughs> he was trying to get some Bannock heat off. Yeah, right. uh, He had a lot of spare time because he wasn't playing AFL football like he was meant to be. Uh, so he got a little bit bitter and ran a lot of anti-Jack Watts uh, propaganda out into the football yeah. community. Anthony Bannock now has a company in which he scrubs the internet for his own name. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Don't Bannock. Uh, and it's for anyone who's been through a major scandal and needs to be erased from the internet. So what do you think about West Coast? Like, I mean, geez, they're losing at home now. What do they do about this season? They could still play finals, no doubt. But it doesn't feel like they'll... I, I think they probably will still play finals. Yeah. I think they're all right. Um, West Coast. I did see this week, which really disturbed me, because uh, of course they've got the Bulldogs this weekend. Uh, is that uh, the Frenchman Mark Lacroix <laughs> not making the trip? Hey, not making the trip. Really? They're not bringing Lacroix over. To where are they playing? In Melbourne, but that's like little Paris. Uh, that's like his day. That's where I get my croissants when I come to Melbourne. I like to go down Little Collins Street. It reminds me of Gay Paris. No, je n'agrette rien. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem, mate. Like, you know, Eddie had's the opposite end of town. It's not up the Paris end. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If his mate, if his good mate JJK is not making the trip either, then at least put them to use. Let's see some hilarious double act YouTube videos getting made over that weekend. Yeah, that's what I would like to see. You know, I mean... Surely, um, you know, in this time where Kennedy's been out, like I think his job would have just been morale around the club. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Because I think we found out that he is indeed the spiritual leader. So I just imagine you've, they've got to up the pranks. Yeah. Also, on, on, on that JJK, have you noticed two things, right? The head surfing, Fox Footy brought it back for some reason, but there is a very late tacked on Jeremy Howe inclusion now. Like obviously Jeremy Howe's going to win Mark of the Year. And someone realized, geez, we don't feature Jeremy Howe in the head surfing comp. Maybe this is what we really need to sell it. So now it's the same fucking promo. But at the very end, it's like, hi, I'm Jeremy Howe and I'm a head surfer. And it's like, too late, Fox Footy. Too fucking late. You're not saying that promo with a last minute edition of a Jeremy Howe fucking voiceover. 
I didn't read it like that. I read it like a bit more like they'd really like, you know, to legitimize their head surfing <laughs> campaign. They were now taking it to the next level. Whereas like initially you've got to get the viral video that goes around. But then if you're like, say, a political party or a cause or whatever, the next step is to actually lend some legitimacy to head surfing. And so I thought they were borrowing Mark of the Year's legitimacy into their world of head surfing. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know what we've got to get? We've got to get some credibility on board. If we can get Jeremy Howe to endorse head surfing, then head surfing is a thing. Have you seen the latest Fox Footy promo, the Rural Round? Oh, now people have been telling me about this, but I haven't oh, seen it yet. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Hang on. All right. You know what? Let's have a pause because I, w- I wanted to suggest that for a second anyway. Okay. Let's have a pause yeah. and then we'll uh, come back. I'll, I'll watch. I'll see if I can find it and then uh, I'll have a look. I just, you know what? <laughs> if you just got me to imagine how terrible it could have been, I, I still could not have imagined how terrible it was. <laughs> we have to. We've said it before, but I, we have to get the marketing manager on from Fox Footy. I need to know when these ideas came up. Like, who came up with the ideas? How were they approved? What was the vetting process? Like, how did you talk the players into it? That's the other thing. I mean, it's one of those things where they seem to be so particular about, you know, things that they will and won't do as AFL players. Yet they've all had to do this. So And superstars Fox, too. It's one of those... Like, I mean, count them off. Lance Franklin, Danger, Eddie Betts, JK, Nat Fife. Like, it's big guys. Gary Ablett Jr. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's the superstars. And then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to put you in a Cobra and try to make you crack a whip. Any and, and by the way, they have some clubs feature more than one player. I, there's only Jack Stevens from St Kilda, but Hawthorne have got Hodgie, Ruffy, Cyril, <laughs> like, triple premiership players, Will. Well, maybe it's much like the All-Australian team, mate. Like, sorry, but St Kilda only have one. Yeah, right. Jack Stephen, though, had the best hair for that for the rural round, right? He looks legitimate rural. Well, uh, look, I haven't delved too deeply into this because obviously we've just first seen it. And I didn't realise that Lee Kernigan was involved. I would have preferred if they got Stephen Kernahan <laughs> to sing the song, personally. Stephen Kernan, the boys are back with town. <laughs> Like, firstly, okay, here's the first thing I'm going to say is I'm from the country and not everybody from the country is a fucking hick. (laughs) 
right? Like your depiction of what people in the country are like is not like the country is actually a very diverse place full of diverse people. But apparently when it's like rural round in the AFL, you have to get people on the back of the ute with a bale of hay fucking whipping. I grew up on a fucking farm for 17 years and I never once had cause to use a whip. It's not a thing that you need to do. But did you have a dryser bone and a Cobra? No. <laughs> I had none of those things. That did, that ad did not represent my rural life at all, Charlie. I feel completely misrepresented. This must what it might must be like to be an ethnic minority on Australian <laughs> television. <laughs> I mean, we're not all like that. It's a small percentage of us from the country. You can't stereotype us all. Yeah, mate, that is country phobic or something. Yeah, that's countryous. When an atrocity is committed by a small group who only represent a very minor, a small minority of us, you can't blame all of us for it, mate. Like, look at my life. I'm a country kid. Not one dries a boat. Not one pair of R.M. Williams boots. Not one whip in my entire house, mate. That is misrepresenting my people and my culture. I am third generation farmer, mate. Yeah, uh, Fox Footy, it's been a great year. We've had head surfing, we've had pie night, and now we've got raw round. I can, look, I'm salivating at the thought of what we're going to get at finals time. How bad can it get? I mean, I, here's what I would say is rural round's probably like fifth on the board of problems the promos department has to deal with. <laughs> I feel like Rural Round is probably even below. No, I reckon they put more work into Rural Round than Pine And by the way, that scene where uh, Cyril is playing a harmonica or a gum leaf, I'm not sure, but I look at that again, I'm pretty sure there's nothing in his hands. So he's miming playing something. <laughs> like the budget didn't... St- the budget went as far as whips and dries of bones and a cubras, but you couldn't find Cyril a gum leaf or a harmonica to play? Well, maybe, no, maybe this is one of the things that people don't know about Cyril is that Cyril not only was influenced by the great footballers when he was growing up, but he was influenced by some of the great uh, comedians like uh, Michael Winslow from Police Academy was one of his favourites. And he can actually mimic any musical instrument and and choppers and cars and all sorts of things. Yeah, well, isn't it? Unfortunately, he's so good at football that nobody actually hears his other skills. He's an accomplished mime, Marcel Marcyril. (laughs) Yeah, and then occasionally he actually makes the noises when he's out on the field. Like, you know, he's like... Well, it's, it's funny. When he plays at Etihad, even though there's no breeze there, he's acting like it's a windy day. When he plays against Fremantle, he makes the chopper noise with his mouth so Nat Fife gets uh, distracted and thinks he rides there. Well, it's funny you it's should very bring... multi... Talented player. It's funny you should bring up Nat Vive, who also features in the video. We encourage you to uh, go check out Raw Round online. So uh, I think Mike Hal's uh, embedded the song in between in that little break then. So you've got the audio. Please chase up the video so uh, that last five minutes of, of jokes make sense to you. But uh, Nat Fife, um, and if you are And if you are from the country, if you are a farmer... Uh, uh, born and bred like myself, and you, like myself, are offended <laughs> by the depictions of country people in that advertisement, please feel free to hit us up on the Two Guys, One Cup uh, Facebook page. Yeah. Tell us your stories about maybe what your rural life is like and how it was not depicted in the AFL. Yeah, app. hashtag not all farmers. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Nat Fife, uh, Frio came over to Skilled Stadium on Sunday. And look... The, this is the last of the thrillers from this round, and it was a belter. I know I've said that Essendon was my favourite one and that the West Coast and Demons was my second, but this was as good as either of those games. Uh, Geelong, for all money, seemed to be out of it. And then, God, like that last minute, that last play, 
I mean, it didn't look like Frio deserved to get that ball into their forward line, but geez, so Michael Walters could have covered himself in glory, couldn't he? It's one of those ones, though, again, where you're a bit like, yes, absolutely, and that's what you want every day. And like that look on his face, like you know, he knew the minute he kicked it. Yeah. Like there's no moment where he thinks, oh yeah, yeah, this is going to go well. It's not like there's a last minute fade. He, you, literally, when they went for the close up on him, the minute the ball hits his foot, the look on his face is like, ah, yeah, shanked fuck it, this. shanked it. There was probably no more dramatic a finish this year to have. The shot literally seconds before the siren goes. Like that was the last play was his shot on goal. And to just miss. Like it was amazing. The the shot of uh, Chris Scott in the coach's box. And look, I'm no lip reader. But it was very clear that he yelled out, you fucking beauty at the end. Which is so great. Such an old school Aussie term. And it was perfect. Because it was you fucking beauty. We got away with it. I must admit that I am very much like you. Because we don't discuss what we're going to talk about, obviously, on this podcast, which is probably very apparent to anybody <laughs> who has listened to the podcast for this long. But I thought the exact same thing. I was like, I, w- I love the fact that you could clearly say that he was saying fuck, but then he went, you fucking beauty. Yeah. I was like, that's an interesting turn of phrase yeah. for that moment. It's very old like, school. you fucking beauty. <laughs> yeah. You fucking beauty. Yeah. <laughs> So, I was really taken by that as well. Yeah. I remember sitting there going, did he just say you fucking beauty? <laughs> it's very old school. It's so old school. It's great. Sick with the same gusto as Jezalinko, you beauty. Beauty. Speaking of which, um, yeah, I, I should mention that uh, we did a lot of Kappa talk last week and uh, someone sent us a video, which I put on the Facebook page, which was Warwick Kappa's thoughts on Jeremy Howe. And look, we made some pretty good jokes. I thought we were pretty funny talking about the kind of guy Warwick Kappa was, but no one does Kappa better than Warwick himself. Did you see that video? Warwick Kappa is Australia's leading Warwick Kappa impersonator. <laughs> That's incredible, right? Like never lets you down and not afraid. Like... Uh, you're not afraid to like do it, just do an impromptu interview about himself. It's amazing. I'm not afraid to. Oh, mate, he's, he's offering them every day. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just occasionally he becomes topical. Uh, the second last game of last week, uh, last round, sorry, was Richmond. 11-18-84, defeating Carlton. 8-10-58. In a game that we built up um, uh, in the podcast that no one will ever hear is you know, going to be the best game. As it turns out, it was probably the most underwhelming game of the round. Uh, but it was just, it was, Carlton, Carlton have done enough. Like, I've discussed this with you in the podcast that no one will ever hear, but I'm okay for Carlton. That'll do, Pig. Enough's enough. I don't want to see them getting any more momentum this season because... I fear a Carlton resurgence. I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Brendan Bolton. I like their players. But Will, they are the... When it comes to arrogance, Hawthorne have taken the mantle. But do you remember in the 80s and the 90s what it was like having a strutting Carlton moving around the league? You know what I love? And it may be just uh, the fact that we're on Skype today. Um, So you do have that appearance of a guy with a beard rambling conspiracy theories into a microphone uh, in a strange hotel room. This does have a very Edward Edward Snowden type kind of vibe to it. You're about to tell me that the US government's been spying on all our emails and phone calls. I I just can't believe, I can't believe how quickly people have forgotten. Everyone's like all in love with Carlton again. I'm like, have you people forgotten what they were like? 
The, this, they were the most... If you were barracked for a team like the Saints or the Bulldogs in the 80s, Carlton supporters were the worst. Like, everyone thinks that Hawthorne supporters are arrogant, but it's a different kind of arrogance. Hawthorne supporters are arrogant with the confidence that they're a team that never loses. Within three years, they'll be back playing finals again. Carlton delighted in being better than you. They delighted in destroying your team. You were scum to them. John Elliott epitomized who that club was. Now... I'm not saying that their administration now or their coach now, their players now are like that, but they have the potential. We can't get too lackadaisical with this. If we let Carlton back in and we start building them back up, you mark my words, they will be a monster. Uh, Firstly, what I love is you've essentially just done the speech of every so-called crazy scientist at the start of a disaster film. That's you're basically the one guy who's telling them, no, 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 we can't trust these robots. Mm. Yes, they've been friendly to us, but remember 20 years ago? No, we can't build more dinosaurs, mate. No, remember 20 years ago when the dinosaurs that got out of control and all those people died? We can't do this again. And people are like, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's a whole different management. They surely won't have the same problems with the dinosaurs at this park that they had 20 years ago. Oh, mate, let's get this reality host. He's so funny. He's so hilarious. He's so quippy. Let's put him on TV. <laughs> now he wants to be president. Yeah, let's entertain that for a bit. What's the worst that could happen? I'm telling you, Will, they're adorable and cute and funny and entertaining now, but the minute Carlton get a run on, and for God's sake, it looks like they will. They've got so many fucking good players. Four rising stars this year. Four rising stars. Like, what the fuck happened? How did this happen on our watch? We were trying to punish Carlton for years and years of cheating. They haven't served their time. Now, not only have they won the fucking draft battle, but they've won the PR battle too. I don't understand how it's happened. I mean, I I do feel like if after the Darth Vader years, this would have been a really interesting twist on the new Star Wars movies. That instead of after sort of Darth Vader, what the lesson that the Empire learned from that was, you know what, let's maybe go with a different management technique. Maybe what we don't need is this all-imposing sort of dark figure who punishes people and that sort of thing. Maybe what this modern generation of stormtroopers need is like, you know, a leader who's going to listen to what their needs are in stormtrooping and it's going to understand if some days they don't feel like trooping or maybe, you know what, maybe the reason that you're not trooping very well is we've got you in the wrong position. Maybe we send you back to the seconds for a while, you troop down there, you play a new position, you come back and you can play well, you know, trooping here. You know, maybe if they put Brendan Bolton in charge of the Empire, it might have been a very different series of movies. Well, I see, in my Carlton supporting mates, I've seen a lot of humble pie over the last 15 years. Like, there has been a real kind of... They're, they're like us. They're like dogs and saint supporters now. Like, they're kind of... they lo- they they detached from their team, uh, suspicious of success, kind of uh, uh, pessimistic when it comes to finals chances and stuff. But... There's, di- there's something different about this year. Like if you follow the algorithms on Twitter, if you follow like a Dave Hughes or an Adam Rosenbachs on Twitter, something's brewing. I'm seeing it. Yes, I am that paranoid scientist at the start of Godzilla. Who's you like, are. Do not mess with this force of nature because we've seen what it's done in the past. But what about the thrill of an up and about Carlton? It is kind of exciting, right? And Brendan Bolton mm. is such a charismatic leader and you got the third generation of Silvani and they're all wearing long sleeve shirts and you know all those players who are meant to be good who weren't that good for a while are now all playing consistently good football yep. like 
you know, it, 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 Levi Casbolt's kicking better. Like, there's just something. Everyone in that team seems like an underdog. Where this, like, you know, the Liam Jones story. There's so many good underdog stories that can't you just love Carlton a little bit? Well, here's the thing. This is why I feel it's so insidious. Yeah, I do love Carlton. I love the Levi Casbolt story. I love the Jack Silvani story. I love the Bryce Gibbs story. I love the Brendan Bolton story. All these things line up, and that's the fucking problem because Mate, it's Carlton. Da- Daisy, Daisy Thomas who said to the club, don't worry about the trigger in my contract, I just want to play football. You've got to love that story, right? I sent you a text on the weekend saying, fucking goddamn it, Carlton is making me like Daisy Thomas. Like, this is the problem, Will. I know what's going on. I feel the same things as you and the wider football public. But I have a part of me, and that part of me has been engendered by years of abuse and, and, and torment by Carlton supporters to have never forget, Will. Never forget what they did to us. So I'm happy for them to be moderately successful, but never to be a powerhouse. And here's the thing. I saw Brendan Bolton being interviewed and on the couch, right? Now, he yes. may have misspoken. But maybe I am being paranoid. I saw something in that that scared me. They were talking about the uh, idea of player mental health and having the proper support networks at clubs. And Brendan Bolton said, yeah, I have um, people that I talk to. There's uh, different mentors that I speak to when I need advice. And he n- n- mentioned a few people and he said, so if I've got like a, a moral quandary and, you know, when, and I paused and I was like, well, hang on, you have a, a moral quandary? Why would you have a moral quandary? And it's, then I realized he's a fucking coach of Carlton. His entire career is a moral quandary. If he gets that team back being successful again, then he's basically he's reactivating one of the darkest forces that ever loomed over this competition in its history. So you're saying that occasionally, to extend that uh, analogy I was using about the Death Star, mm. he's the new manager who's come in and he's never really worked for a company like the Empire before. That's he's right. just good at management. Yep. And like his job is to come in and rebuild, rebuild the culture. He's really optimistic about the idea it can be a whole new empire. Mm-hmm. It can be an empire for good, yep. an empire that people can get behind. An empire that strikes you know, that back. Sort of, <laughs> I mean, that's what happens, Will. The Empire does strike back. And that's when fucking Han Solo, like Paddy Dangerfield gets frozen in carbonite. Uh, like everyone gets, uh, 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 Buddy gets his left hand chopped off. You watch. If we let the Empire back in, we will regret it. Bruce McAvaney says to Paddy Dangerfield, you're the best player in the competition. And Paddy Dangerfield says, I know. <laughs> Uh, so it was, mate. By the way, can we just yep. just while we're talking about Paddy Dangerfield, mm. can I firstly, what a fucking brilliant uh, footballer he is, and what a pleasure it is to watch him play football. But speaking of like you know, people who are good in the media, like I know the trend is these days, like Hodgie was doing stuff on the weekend, and Nick Rewald's been doing lots of stuff. You get current day players like who are kind of testing their mm. like you know they go into the media and they're on the games. Dangerfield's like calling three games a fucking weekend and now he's got a fishing show on SEN on Saturday mornings. I'm like, he's got like four other full-time jobs as well as being the best player in the AFL. And a nice guy and insightful commentator. (laughs) Fuck him. (laughs) Like, fuck him. (laughs) Like, he's so good in the media. Like, he's got a career in the media like 10 years from now when he retires with eight Brownlows. Like, but like, but he's also got a fishing show. It's like he's the Nat Fife of Victoria, <laughs> but well-liked. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think about the Tigers? Do you reckon this firms their top four credentials? 
Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm totally on the Richmond story this year. Yeah, I'm rolling the dice on Richmond. I think I think this could be an exciting time. I think they had to win this game, especially for the Richmondy storyline. Like it would have been too early to um uh, to mess up that game. I think to win and win in which the fashion in which they did, it's perfect. It just sets it sets up the the latter half this year really well. Yeah, absolutely. This no, this was one of those games that for the overall story of this season went exactly how it needed to go. And with Essendon fulfilling the Richmondy duties of the round, it just allowed them just to play a normal game of football. <laughs> I mean, it really was one of those things, wasn't it? Where like there, there was a lot of commentary around that mm. idea this week. If like if Essendon were Richmond, there'd be a real kind of a bit more of a stigma about it, but it doesn't really stick to Essendon. No, not at all. Last game of the round, uh, two weeks in a row, St Kilda's played in the most uninspiring match of the round. 14-19, uh, 103, defeating Gold Coast, 10-12-72. Gold Coast had seven forced changes before this game, including 300-gamer Gary Ablett. Um, they weren't too bad, but it's just, it's just this thing about Gold Coast is you just see, like, glimpses. It's actually... I mean, I don't know there are any Gold Coast supporters, but if there were, I imagine it would be incredibly frustrating that you can see 10 minutes of what looks like premiership football and then nothing for the rest of the game. Well, well, they had seven forced changes. Ablett was out with a calf injury and the other six were actually just pulled out by Tony Cochran to sell the Gary Ablett 300 merchandise <laughs> that he had in the back of his car. So uh, they really just got pulled from the game for that. They had to stand about 100 metres from the stadium and then try to sell this shit that he'd spent all this money on. Now, a lot of uh, I've heard all the, the scuttlebutt that, you know, uh, uh, this game and last week's game against North Melbourne is St Kilda to play ugly football. We don't get big crowds. You know what? As I was saying earlier, I don't really care. Two wins in a row. I'll take it. It was, I mean, Gold Coast were leading at, at the end of the first quarter, or I think halfway through the second quarter. And I was like, oh God, if we lose, like you and North this week, I thought if we lose this and fucking, we might as well just pack it up. Uh, the other notable thing about this is Jack Billings has become a really good player this year, finally. Yeah, from that moment that you said he had to start playing well, he's played pretty much really well since then. Yeah. Maybe he's a big fan of yours. Yeah, I hope so. I'd like that. I'm a big fan of his. Um, high half forward is a, a, a role we've heard a lot about. Robbie Gray this year, high half forward. It, the idea being that you have certain players whose value is better nearer to goal. Dustin Martin another being another one of them. Um, do you think it's... If you have a player of that quality, do you think it's... Uh, a waste not to put them in the midfield when they can distribute so well by hand and foot, they read the play so well. I mean, you kind of want that person getting as much of the ball as possible, right? Uh, I'm not sure about that because I do think that, like, you know, Robbie Gray, like, for all the great player that he was previous... Three like, best and fairest down that forward, as a midfielder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that that's what I'm saying. I still think he's... Now that they have other players who can play in those positions, I think he is of more value to the team than putting him into the midfield and then sliding one of those other guys to a different position. Like, I think that he... They, they've they tried it a bit with Bontempelli at the Bulldogs. Mm. I think Bontempelli's still the other way at the moment. I think he's more value to the Bulldogs when he's playing through the middle and he's creative control there than he's offering down forward and getting him out of the game down there. I just don't think he's a player that suits that yet. But I do think if you have one of those players, then yeah, it's a good... 
it's a good thing to have. Yeah, 100%. All right, uh, we're going long, so let's quickly just whip through this week's okay. games and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Friday night uh, at yes. the MCG, uh, cracking game, Melbourne take on the Sydney Swans. Sydney have won, I think, six of their last seven or something like that. Uh, up against Melbourne, have won five of their last seven. Yeah. So, yeah, this has got to be... Got to be game of the round. But Melbourne, I mean, Sydney, sorry, have only snuck in. Their last two games have been kind of get-out-of-jail wins. I think Melbourne will win this game. I think Melbourne are on a roll. Sydney, oh gee, I don't know. Sydney are hard to tip against at the moment. But I'm going to say uh, Melbourne are due to drop one. And I'm going to say Sydney. I'm going to roll the dice on Sydney. Good on you. Uh, Saturday night. Uh, Saturday, sorry, at Etihad Stadium, the Western Bulldogs take on the West Coast Eagles without the Frenchman. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. Really? Um, well, here's what I was going to say. I pick the Bulldogs every week, so I might as well just say the Bulldogs because yeah. I'll end up saying the Bulldogs. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't like. I watched that whole game, that North Melbourne game, and it didn't fill me with confidence about this game. I think West Coast played better in their game than we played in our game. Um, West Coast not much good over in this part of the world, but at some stage they're gonna, you know, flip that story. At some stage they're gonna prove a point, and this is as good a game as any. Um, uh, I don't know, but you know, the, the Bulldogs. Hopefully, I, hopefully the Bulldogs. I'm gonna say the Bulldogs by about three goals. Carlton versus Adelaide at the MCG. Uh, Who knows? Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide. I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they don't have a plan B, Will. <laughs> yeah, they won't need it. Their plan A will be good enough to beat... Uh, plan A will be play to the best of our plan A and beat Carlton. Carlton will be good. Uh, Adelaide will beat them. I'm going to pick Carlton in... Uh, I, th- I think I think Carlton can, can do it. I think they had a down week, but they will rediscover some of that momentum and terrify me for the rest Charlie, of the season. Charlie, yes. how soon after your words oh, mate. of warning yeah. have you flipped? I'm using cold logic to determine this. So you guys are like, oh, no, we don't have to worry about Carlton. <laughs> we'll enjoy them. I'm telling you, there is something to fear within this team. Four rising stars, Will. That's got to be a record. Four rising stars in one year? Fear the Blues. Uh, later that afternoon, the Gold Coast uh, Suns take on the North Melbourne Football Club up at Metricon. Is Gaz back for this? Do we know? I think he's not. Uh, they still don't know. There's talk that he could be, but they don't know. I heard talk this week that he wasn't going to play another game until he played his 300th at Geelong, playing for Geelong next season. <laughs> um, there's, there's been a lot of speculation around it. Uh, I imagine Tony Cochran would want to know for the t-shirt, t-shirt situation, mm. uh, unless Gaz is actually doing this just because he's pissed off with Tony Cochran and maybe he's just like fucking him around. Yeah, he tells him, "No, I'm definitely in this week," and then pulls it away at the last moment. But um, I, I think that North Melbourne are going to win that regardless. Yeah, it's hard. Go. I mean, Tom Lynch, North- Tom Lynch seems horribly out of form at the moment, and when you take Gaz and Tom Lynch out of the equation, then what are Gold Coast. Uh, I'm going to pick North. Well, to be honest, if if Ablett plays, Gold Coast will probably win. And if Ablett doesn't play, Gold Coast will probably lose because that's normally what happens. I'll pick North Melbourne as well. Uh, at Spotless Stadium, <laughs> in what should be a cracking game, GWS take on the Cats. Yeah, I'm going to say GWS. I'm going to say GWS as well on that. Port versus Richmond at Ring Ring Reserve, Adelaide Oval. Jeez, um, that's got to be matched around. Hard game to pick. Yeah, totally yeah. hard game that, to pick. That, that, yeah, 
Oh. Hard game to pick. Like Port Adelaide at home, you know, you got to give them a lot of confidence. Richmond, though, you know, they're at a point where I think they're probably a slightly better team than Port Adelaide. It'd be a big victory for Richmond too to get the Tiger Army up and about mm. beating Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. But Port, you know, they've got something to prove. Port have got mm. to beat a team that is, you know, better than them or around them on the ladder to kind of prove that they're a legitimate team. So there's a lot on the line in yeah. this game, actually, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, I'm going to pick Port Melbourne in that game. Port Melbourne. I mean, Port Adelaide. That'll be a surprise. <laughs> Port Adelaide, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think... Get a surprise. I think Gary Ayres is a good coach. Uh... <laughs> Guys, uh, uh, I'm just down here on the boundary line and in an unprecedented start to the match, a third team has come onto the Oval. It seems to be the Port Melbourne Football Club. <laughs> I cannot believe this. In a season of an unprecedented AFL, a third team has not only come onto the game, put on their own set of goals on the wing, and won the game. Yeah, I'm picking Port Melbourne, and that's my luck of the week. <laughs> uh, I am going to say, uh, in a toss of the coin, uh, I, I want to believe in Richmond. Yeah. So let's say Richmond. Okay, on Sunday, the Bombers take on the Lions at Etihad Stadium, and that's the Bombers will win that. <laughs> Yeah, that probably is true. Yeah. yeah. No, I'd imagine that'll be the case. Uh, Hawthorne versus the Pies, the MCG. I think this will be a cracking Sunday afternoon game. This will be the kind of game that you've got a bit of work on you need to do. You'll have this on in the background and you'll get sucked in by a few moments in this game. Um, two very physical clubs, good midfield. I just, I'm loving watching Hodgie go around, just not give a fuck. Uh, I think this is definitely going to be one of those games too because it's like, it's essentially now two teams signifying nothing <laughs> so do you know what I mean like yeah. it's like it doesn't really mean anything for the season this game at all but what I love is there's enough sort of like just personal stories and little like you know you're like ah oh, this is going nowhere but I just like watching it it's like one of those tv shows where you're just like yeah the plot whatever who cares mm. what happens at the end but I just enjoy these couple of actors and that's what it's like just seeing Luke Hodge do a lap of honour. Like, I've just been loving it. Mic him up for the whole game and just do it live. Don't edit it. <laughs> and is it the final game? Is Frio versus St Kilda over at Penis Stadium. Um, yeah, I'm a bit like you and the Bulldogs on this one. We haven't been very convincing. But by the same token, our major flaw at the moment is goal kicking. Like, that, we actually are getting a lot of shots on goal. We're just fucking missing everything. Um, Frio, it's hard to say. They're coming back from a pretty tough game, a deflating game. I'll pick the Saints. I always do. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be a pretty tight contest. St. Kilda have done nothing in the last few weeks to reassure me. Uh, Frio have done very little. They've been pretty terrible as well. Um, you'd think kind of Frio at home might be the... But this week, I don't know what's going on with my tips. I think it's the... I've embraced the fact that this season is unpredictable. Normally, I pick Fremantle, so I'm going to say St. Kilda. Okay. Uh, and that's it. So, uh, again, apologies for last week. Um, like uh, Will said earlier, we're going to try and get some of that content out as maybe mini webisodes. Don't hold us to that. You know, we're good at... We're big talkers. We like to make promises we can't fulfill. 
Uh, if you like this show, pl- oh, please yeah. go to our website, tofop.com. We can find a whole bunch of information on this podcast and other podcasts we do. Um, there's links to our Facebook page, Twitter accounts, and our Patreon page, which is if you like the show and you want to support us because um, we have to pay people like Mike Hal and James Fosdyke and everyone else who works on the show. Uh, it's a great way to keep this show running and show your support. You can donate any amount of money you like. It just gets deducted from your credit card. You won't even know about it like a thief in the night will <laughs> sneak in, take some money off your credit card, and you won't know about it till it hits your statement at the end of the month. Yeah, and you know what? You probably won't even really know about it until you eventually like run out of money or you stop using that credit card and you realize you've got a recurring payment <laughs> to that gym you haven't been to for like nine years. It'll be like that. Yeah. So you'll actually probably keep paying for it heaps after you've stopped enjoying the podcast. And we really appreciate that. So thank you for supporting us. Yeah, sign up and just, just forget about it. Just forget about it. Play on, not 15. Just forget about it. Well. We are two guys, one car.